Hosanna in the highest. Palm Sunday. That's what today is. Today is the day that we celebrate Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, one that would eventually lead to his crucifixion. But the crowds, as they made their way to Jerusalem, grew. And they made their way to Jerusalem from Jericho to celebrate the Passover. And today's message, we're beginning in Jericho as we look at this situation with this blind man that we just saw this uh, video about. But Jesus was welcomed into Jerusalem with the flying of palm branches and people shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! Many didn't necessarily know what they were actually yelling or who Jesus really truly was, but they honored Him in that sense on this day. Now, I think it's likely that blind Bartimaeus, as healed Bartimaeus, was possibly on the side of the road leading into Jerusalem, waving palm branches as Jesus entered in there, because Jericho is a city that's just 15, a 15-mile walk from Jerusalem. Of course, I say just a 15-mile walk. For us, that for me personally, that would be a 15-minute car ride, not a walk, but for them, it was a short walk. Um, and it's also interesting to note, I think, that that Jericho was known in biblical days as the city of palms. I, I don't know what sort of significance that has with Palm Sunday, but as they moved from Jericho to Jerusalem, uh, maybe they brought palm branches with them in, in their entourage. The, the first time we come to this story, though, about the healing of, of Bartimaeus is found in Matthew's account, and that's where we're going to be today. If you would turn in your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, the first of the four Gospels. I'm going to begin reading in verse 29, and let me just read that right now. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him, and behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, this account of Jesus healing blind men is found in the other two Gospels, Mark and Luke. Mark 10, 46 through 52, I put these references in your notes there, and Luke 18, 35 through 43. Now, the details in all three of these are a little bit different. If we were to read those three this morning, which we're not going to do, but let me just um, suffice it to say this, Matthew tells us that two blind men received their sight that day. And that Jesus, and, and they received their sight as Jesus went on, was on his way out of Jericho, but were not given any names. It's just two blind men. Okay, Mark shares with us the name of one man by the name of Bar, uh, Bartimaeus, who was healed on that day when Jesus was heading into Jericho, but there's no mention of any other blind man who was also healed. And Luke also says Jesus was headed into Jericho where he encountered a blind beggar, but did not mention any other blind man, nor mention any names. So, in case you come to these verses as you're thinking about this this week, what's the deal? Are, are these three gospel writers contradicting each other in, in their telling of this story? And I'm going to explain to you here shortly why they're not. Why this actually does make sense. Um... 
It could be, and some have suggested maybe, that these are two totally or three totally separate incidents. Because uh, that occurs sometimes in, in the Bible. You know, Jesus healed lots of people. And, and sometimes one uh, gospel writer is talking about one situation when another gospel writer is talking about another. But bi- biblical scholars uh, are pretty sure that this encounter in these three gospels is the same encounter. It's the same situation that they are each writing about. Uh, so while both Mark and Luke state that Jesus was headed to Jericho, Matthew, the, what we just read, says that Jesus was going out of Jericho and that a great crowd followed him. So was Jesus going in or was he going out? The answer to that is yes, he was. We just need a little bit more information about that, okay? Kind of like under, the understanding that a cowboy rode into Lingle on Saturday and three days later he rode out on Saturday. How is this possible? The horse was named Saturday. Exactly. But if you didn't know that, you would assume that this person has no idea what they're talking about. So, um, we just need a little more information. I think understanding a bit more the lay of the land in Jericho will clear this up for us right away. It's Jericho, this is the Jericho that's famous for the battle where Joshua marched around the city when the walls came tumbling down in Joshua chapter 6. Jericho is a famous old city situated about 800 feet below sea level that is a beautiful oasis in the middle of a barren wilderness near the Dead Sea. Now, the reason for its beauty and lush vegetation is due to an underground spring, which um, the city, which upon the city was founded. And when King Herod the Great came onto the scene, he built a palace about a mile to the south of the Old Testament remains of Jericho that became a second extension of an inhabitable, inhabitable area where people began to live and dwell. So it's often actually referred to as the Jerichos. There are essentially two Jerichos about a mile apart, which explains how Jesus could be going into one and out of the other. Thousands of pilgrims would have traveled along this road as they all headed toward Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And the fact that Jesus and his disciples were on their way made for a lively buzz of chatter that people were aware of due to his miracles and teachings that he continued to gain traction and people that were following him. And according to the text, there were two blind men who were situated on the road that day. Matthew, look at 20, verse 30 right there. Matthew says, Behold, there were two blind men. Okay, so are we good on the Jerichos, right? Same town. It's like, it's, it's like when you would go into Denver, for instance. You, nobody says, well, I drove into Aurora and then I went into etc. No, you, you just lump it all together and it's, it's Denver, And you could be going in and out of suburbs in Denver constantly, and you could refer to one at going into Denver or out of Denver. Seriously, you could still be in the city and be going out of Denver, right? Um, So, okay, let's move on to the part about the blind men and and there being two or, or whatever. Matthew says that there were two blind men sitting by uh, the road. Mark and Luke only mention one blind beggar, and Mark specifically uh, names him to be Bartimaeus. Now, was there two people who were blind, or was there just one? Yes, that's the answer. There was. Now, let's again take a closer look that'll help us out. While Jesus was headed from old Jericho toward new Jericho on his way to Jerusalem, 
there would likely not have been one or two blind beggars. There would have been 10 or 15 possibly. There would have been lots of people on the side of the road begging and looking for mercy and handouts from people. And because of Jericho's warm warm climate and vegetation that produced this underground spring, besides many palm trees, etc., people who had needs, who who couldn't help themselves, would gravitate to places like this. Um, My wife and daughter just got back from Los Angeles. They were out there, and Los Angeles is predominantly warm-ish, 365 days a year. And she uh, commented on how many homeless people there were there. Well, they don't want to stay in Wyoming. It gets cold here. And you can't live on the street as easily here. So they gravitate to that place. People gravitated to this place uh, near the Jericho. So there would have been multiple people. So think of it this way. If, if one person said, Robert Randolph has a son named Joseph, Okay, and another person said, Rob has three sons and a daughter. Would they both be right? Yes, they would. They would both be, are they contradicting each other? No, they're just giving a little bit different information. That's what the gospel writers are doing. They're just giving a little bit different information. Same situation, so no contradictions. Um, if anybody tries to argue with you about that, think of those two bits of information and in having a conversation about Biblical truth and, and how the Bible, we would say the Bible is 100% right and it never contradicts each other. It never contradicts itself. And that's the truth. We just need a little bit more information in some of those situations that seem like that. So I think those details uh, are important this morning as we celebrate Palm Sunday and we prepare for Easter uh, celebration. And in this passage, I think there's four things that we can learn. And I hope you'll write these down because I think they're very important. The first one is this. We all experience blindness in more ways than one. We all experience blindness in more ways than one. As I think about this interaction that Jesus had with Bartimaeus, I think, you know, we all have these same kinds of interactions. Um, Our blindness can be caused by multiple sources. You know, oftentimes our blindness can be caused by the incorrect influence of others. We could be misled, either intentionally or unintentionally, in our lives and what we know. Uh, Like the hunting party that found themselves hopelessly lost in the mountains. They blamed their guide, but uh, they said to their guide, you told us you were the best guide in Colorado. And he says, I am, but I think we're in Wyoming now. (laughs) You know, our opinions or our selfish or our bias can also blind us. You know, have you ever heard anyone claim that you are blind to the truth? Or heard someone say that she or he is so self-centered that they just can't see it? You know what? That's a form of blindness. We can be blind to the truth. And like Bartimaeus, there's actual physical blindness. We have actual physical things that we need and that we hope to have. And in his day, blind, in Bartimaeus' day, this was a major issue. This, this meant more than just sitting next to the side of the road hoping that people would help you meet your needs. Blindness was one of the blemishes, as recorded in Leviticus 21, 16-24, that disqualified descendants of Aaron from performing sacrifices uh, before the Lord. They, they couldn't do it, as per the law in Leviticus. 
So the cultural effects of physical blindness, um, in today's culture at least, aren't as severe as they were, they were in Bartimaeus's. We need to understand the seriousness of the situation that Bartimaeus found himself in. These men were in desperation for Jesus to heal them. Now there's also a spiritual blindness. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 say this, And if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God, little g, of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There, there is one in our world who is alive and well, who is doing the best that he can to make sure we don't see the truth. To make sure that we're so wrapped up in ourselves or our own pain or whatever it is that he can inflict and use to convince us that all this talk about Jesus being the light of the world is just not true. And people in our world have become dark to this, cold to this. But verse 6 goes on to say, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Jesus is truly the light of the world and can free us from that blindness, from, from being in that darkness that we can sometimes find ourselves to be. Jesus has come to remove the blinders on our eyes just as he did physically for Bartimaeus, our spiritual blindness, our mental blindness. But again, Many in our world don't see it. They, they live in a self-serving, honestly hopeless for the future state, just trying to get by, just trying to put one foot in front of the other. There's, there's no hope for anything in the future. And depressed and trying to find meaning and significance in their life, they try and find it in so many things. We all experience blindness. So Jesus and his disciples and many others, it seems, are walking down the road and Bartimaeus and friend or friends seek to get his attention. So what do they do? Well, it tells us right there the only thing they, they really could do, right? They couldn't necessarily run up to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, we got a request for you. They, they yelled, they hollered, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And then what happened? All the people around him said, would you guys shut up? Would you guys just be quiet? Look at verse 31. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. So what did they do? They yelled louder. Sounds like something I would do. Tell me to do not do something. I'm going to do the opposite, right? They cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And I think this is an example that we should follow in our own lives. People try to pressure us into being quiet. We have something that we want to, to maybe surrender or whatever, and people say, just don't say anything. Point number two, the second thing we can learn this morning is don't give in to the pressure from others to keep quiet especially when we're crying out to Jesus Christ, especially then. I mean, I think this really happens to us a lot. You know, wh whether, whether it's actually people telling us, oh, you know, that, that Jesus stuff, that's just such a crutch. 
You know, you just need to suck it up and, and, and get through it yourself. And, and we get this sense that, that we should just give it over to him, but we hear other people saying to us, no, 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 do it on your own, do it on your own, do it on your own. It's the Wyoming way. It's independence. Maybe, maybe, maybe you don't fit into the normal category. Right? And those around us seek to silence us, silence our cries for help because we, we just, we don't fit into that normal thing, place. Like maybe these blind guys did. Actually, you know I'm a believer that none of us is normal. Right? I mean, um, you've heard me say it before. I think that we're all a little bit weird. I think we're all a little bit weird. Um, I mean, just look at the person sitting next to you, right? Right? We all have quirks. We all have quirks. We all have imperfections. We all have things that somebody could point to and say, well, that's not normal. Why do they act like that? Or why do they think that way? Or why do they do things like that? Matthew says in verse 30 that Bartimaeus and his friend cried out to Jesus. Now, the Greek word right there for cried out is kradzo. Kradzo. And it's used to, for any sort of screaming or anguished shout. Kradzo is a word used for the rantings of insane people and the cries of a woman in childbirth. It's intense. And when the crowds would soon shout for Jesus to be crucified, the word that Mark chooses to describe the scene in his gospel was kradzo. Just before Jesus yielded up his spirit on the cross, Matthew tells us in, in uh, chapter 27, verse 50, that Jesus first cried out, Kradzo. It's a cry of desperation. It's an emotional cry. And if Bartimaeus and his friend or friends were ever going to get the attention of Jesus, they would need to cry out for him and he would need to hear him and that's exactly what they did they cried out for jesus to have mercy on them my question for us this morning is this when's the last time you cried out i mean really cried out to jesus to have mercy on you maybe honestly maybe it's just recently and and i you know, I wonder, how did that go? What, what happened when you did that? How did Jesus respond to you in that situation? Or maybe you, you've just been anguishing and you haven't been crying out to Him at all. Just trying to do it on your own. Because others maybe doubt the truth of putting everything at the feet of Jesus or maybe because you just a sense of pride or arrogance or maybe you just haven't known that that is something that you could do. I think it's time to stop listening to the crowd. I think it's time to stop being blinded to the fact that we can cry out to Jesus, Lord, have mercy on us, Son of David. He said, 
Lord, have mercy on me, son of David. So they cried all the louder. And then what happens? Look at verse 32 and 33. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be open. Have you ever not asked something of Jesus because you sort of felt like maybe it was a selfish request or, or you, you just, it was just too small? I mean, obviously this isn't small for these guys, but maybe you're afraid. Maybe you're afraid that if you cry out to him, you, you're going to put yourself in a vulnerable position and you'd rather, you know, face things from a strong position. Well, here's the thing, and it's point three in your notes this morning. Jesus wants us to ask. Jesus wants us to ask. Jesus wants us to cry out to him. Isn't it true that the majority of the people that Jesus healed came to him? They came to him and asked. The the paralytic's friends lowered him from the roof for crying out loud. Jesus didn't go seeking after him. They came to Jesus and asked Jesus, said, presented him before Jesus and said, look, we got this guy that we'd like to have healed. People brought many friends and family to Jesus to be healed or they heard that he was coming by and they put themselves in a position to see him or be seen by him. They asked, they even begged him at times with Kradzo. Jesus wants us to ask. I think it's interesting to note that in Mark's account, earlier in the day, he asked two of his disciples, James and John, the very same question. Uh, it's Mark chapter 10. And it's immediately before in the book of Mark, Jesus encounters Bartimaeus with the exact same pointed question. What do you want me to do for you? And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And Jesus said to them, What do you want me to do for you? How many of us, that would be our response if somebody came up to us and said some, asked us a question? Actually, that's not a question. It's a statement, isn't it? Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. But Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And then if we read on further, Jesus smote them. No, he didn't do that. <laughs> Jesus didn't do that. Jesus is in the process of discipling these men, helping them grow in their attitudes and their understandings of faith and life and what it means to follow Jesus. Sometimes we're afraid to ask something because we're just not sure about our own attitude. And I say, ask away. Ask away. If it's outside of where Jesus wants you to be, which is what he did with these disciples in Mark chapter 10, he's going to show you that this was not the right question to ask. I mean, these guys, it was a big competition with the disciples. Who's going to be first? Who's going to be the greatest? And that was what this question was. These guys, James and John, they wanted to be the greatest. Sometimes we, ask, sometimes we ask things of Jesus, not out of the need for it, but the want for it. But as I said, I believe that he'll 
show us how we're asking and will coach us up, if you will, in that process. James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 say it this way. You desire but do not have, so you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. Okay, trying to get these things on our own. James says, you do not have because you do not ask God. You need to ask. Jesus wants us to ask. When you ask, James goes on, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. To ask with right motives, that's the goal. But if we ask without the right motives, God is going to correct us and move us in the right direction. But we've got to ask. We've got to ask. We have to ask. And the Bible also tells us that we should approach the throne of grace with confidence. Not ask timidly. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14, 15, and 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess... For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Isn't it comforting? It is to me to know that our Creator not only says that He understands how we experience life, but He has felt it Himself. He has felt it Himself. Kradzo, He cried out on the cross. He has suffered pain. He has suffered loss of a friend. He has, he has been tempted in all ways. He knows. He really does. He doesn't just sympathize with us. You know, sometimes we send a sympathy card to someone. We have no idea what it is they're going through, but we, we want to show them concern and let them know that we're thinking about them. And we say to them, we sympathize. I'm sorry this has happened to you. What we can't say in that situation is, I know some of what you're feeling right now because we've never experienced that before. When we're able to say to someone, you know what, I've experienced something, to sim something similar to this. I think I, I've experienced some of the same kinds of things that you're experiencing. That's empathy. That's how Jesus, that's what Jesus is able to say to us. And he wants us, it says, that, that let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus wants us to ask, and when we do, now look at verse 34, Matthew chapter 20. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. The fourth thing that we can learn from this passage this morning is this. Jesus cares enough to answer. Jesus cares enough to answer. at the end of his life, at the end of Jesus' life, that's when this situation occurs. He's facing the anguish of the cross before him. He knows it's coming, 
Yet what does he do? He stops, he hears it, and he responds and he heals them. I mean, I could understand if the week before Jesus was crucified, he spent the entire week holed up with his disciples worrying about what was going to happen or preparing for what was going to happen or, or, or doing what he needed to do mentally so that he could get through what was happening. I mean, we'd understand that, right? You would understand that, right? Uh, if you have somebody who loses a parent or loses a child and they, they take a week or two off of work or school and they check out, I understand. I get it. I would understand if you did that. When my mom died, I took two weeks off of school, college. I thought about not even going back that semester. My professors understood. They, in fact, one of my professors met with me on the Sunday that I came back to get me prepared for a makeup test that I had missed in the previous two weeks. They cared. He cared. One of the strangest professors I ever had. But he cared. He did. He understood. Dude, you lost your mom. I get it. I'm not just going to say, oh, you missed it. Sorry. Better luck next semester. He understood. Or maybe you've had to prepare for a major test. Maybe it's a, 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 a nursing certification or, or it's the last class before you receive your degree and, and, and it's the last test and you really need to do well. What happens to all the other stuff in your life the previous week? The house needs clean. The dishes need done. Nope, those things don't get done at all. And if somebody came over to your place and saw the disarray, they would understand, wouldn't they? They would get it. I would get if Jesus hadn't taken the time, but he did. But he did. Jesus cares enough to answer. Uh, my son and I, Zach, are going to fly to Grand Junction in 11 days. 11 days from today, weather permitting, we're going to fly to Grand Junction. It's a weird thing. Brittany's um, spring break was a couple weeks ago, and Sarah went to California with her because she wanted to go somewhere for spring break. So Zach and I are thinking, well, that's not really fair. We want to go somewhere for a for his spring break, and his spring break is the week after Easter, so we're going to do that. And our intent was to fly into the airport in Moab, but it's closed until May 1st because they're remodeling the runways. So we're going to fly into Grand Junction. But, but as I think about that trip, and as I think about all the things that could happen and go wrong, you know, there's a few. Clouds, weather, ice, wind, you know, all of that. I begin to think about that trip and, and I begin to watch videos about things that would pertain to that trip. At night when I get home, you know, I'm laying in bed and my wife's like, can you please put some headphones on? You know, I'm tired of watching 15 minute or hearing 15 minute flights in the air of just talk between air traffic control and the pilot. I mean, that's what I do. I, I like, I'm, ob I don't want to call it, obs okay, I'm obsessing over that. Because I want to do it right. 
It's not, I've never been on that side of the Rockies before. I've never flown over there before. I don't know what to run into. I don't know what it's like. And my wife understands. She'll be glad when that week is over, but she understands. You know, what if, what if it's clear when we get there, kind of like had happened in Minnesota, and then the clouds roll in and, and I can't take off the Friday or the Saturday or the, or the Sunday before Zach has to be back at school? Well, we, I guess we rent the car for an extra couple days and we drive 10 hours back here and wait for the weather to clear up and then drive back and then fly the plane back. I guess, I don't know. But I guess I'm telling that because, number one, because just so you know, I'm going to be gone the week after Easter. But number two, some people, especially those that know flying and general aviation, understand the sort of distraction that comes with that. And, you know, they wouldn't be surprised or even mind, I think, if a few things fell by the wayside in the week leading up to that or the days leading up to that. But you see, Jesus wasn't too busy to stop. Jesus wasn't too... He's going to be crucified. He knows he's going to die. We know he knows the anguish that he's going to experience because we see it in the Garden of Gethsemane. But he stops and he heals this, this man, these men. He's not too lofty to care. You know, you might think, ah, oh, my life's pretty simple. I don't, you know, why would he care about things in my life? You know what? He cares. He absolutely cares. He's not too lofty. He's not too busy. Though he is Lord, Jesus himself said he is the servant of all. He said he didn't come to be served, but to serve. And that's exactly how he lived, even the week before he would die. He was still serving. He was still helping. He was still healing. So he touched them. These men who were blemished and couldn't even offer a sacrifice, Jesus touched them. He asked them to make a request. What is it that you ask of me? And then he answered it. We receive not because we ask not. And I want to leave us with four questions to think about this week. And I'm going to put them on the screen because I didn't include them in your notes and you'll just have to jot them down. While you're thinking about this account this week and as you're thinking about as we move through the week and and we celebrate Maundy Thursday, the night before when Jesus had that last meal with his disciples, I want you to think about these four things. Number one is this. Who's crying out that I have either been shushing or indifferent towards? Is there somebody in your life that's crying out right now but you've been too busy and too involved with your own things to hear? Think about that. Is there somebody that fits, that would you could put their name in that? The second one is this. What area of my life do I need to cry out for mercy in? Number three, how would I respond to Jesus' question, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? 
sometimes, sometimes, you know, we're sort of general in our prayers and our asking and our crying out to God. What if in our crying out to Him, and we do, we cry out to Him, Lord, have mercy on me, and He says, what is it that you ask of me? I almost made it through a service. The fourth thing is this. What would my relationship look like if I lived with that same concern for others and asked them the same question? What would my relationships look like if I lived with that same concern for others and asked them the same question? You see, Jesus' compassion for Bartimaeus during the last leg of the journey to save mankind from their sins is one of the characteristics that made Jesus so great. I mean, he was God, right? He stopped. He gave Bartimaeus and the others his attention. He asked them a question. He listened, he touched their eyes, and he healed them. Now, I don't know what healing, and I don't know what and how God's going to answer the prayers and the, the cries for mercy that we ask of him. But know this, that when we ask, he hears. In Bartimaeus' case, he touched his eyes and he healed the man. And we're also told that, that salvation came to Bartimaeus that day. Jesus says because of his faith. See, we're just like Bartimaeus. And Jesus treats us no differently. No differently. May we cry out to him this week. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this morning. And Father, my prayer is that if there's anybody here that has just been trying to do life on their own, just they think they would be weak if they would cry out to you, I just pray that they've heard you speak to them this morning and, and they've heard how much you love them and care for them. Father, I know your ways are not our ways, but you want us to cry out to you. And to ask. You walk.